There are people who are long-time New Yorkers, gracious people, people that are so cosmopolitan that you can't even believe it. And as a painter, I've always admired painters who are from that beautiful cosmopolitan set, authentic New Yorkers. Alex Katz is certainly one of those authentic cosmopolitan New Yorkers that I've always looked up to as an artist and as a thinker. And the following is a conversation with Alex Katz that took place at the National Gallery. He is in conversation with Harry Cooper, senior curator and head of modern art. Alex Katz was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1927 and educated at Cooper Union, although he fraternized in the 1950s with the abstract expressionists. Katz never embraced the gestural style popular in New York, clinging instead to some degree of observation. Yet, if Katz's work has always celebrated the realism of quotidian life and landscape, it also incorporates the scale and structure of the ambitious abstract painting of its time. So, I wanted to listen to a little bit more of the dialogue from Alex Katz, seeing as I've been a fan of his work all these years, and also uh, I'm a Jewish artist, so I relate to his Jewishness in a certain way, and I've always loved his color sense and the way he uses figures in a kind of a flattened manner. I saw a show of his at, well, it wasn't a show of his, it was a gallery that was showing some of his preparatory drawings. He would make these giant drawings on what kind of looked like tracing paper or something and then rub them onto the canvas and do the drawing around to transfer the figures. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then he was showing at Gavin Brown sometime before Gavin Brown closed his gallery and merged. Um, so anyways, if you're in the art world, you know a little bit about the story of what happened to Gavin Brown's gallery. And without further ado, it's a conversation with Alex Katz at the National Gallery. This is the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. Having me recite poetry young, and my father didn't like it at all. So Yiddish he, poetry, yeah, or Russian so he poetry. cut off foreign languages uh-huh. and uh, told me to go out and play, play in the street. Okay. <laughs> the painting we're looking at on the screen is uh, a, a wonderful and important early painting promised to us um, by Irving and. Uh, and Lucy Sandler. Um, Irving passed away, what, a uh, couple of years ago? Month ago. So two, just two, a few months, months ago. ago. Something like that. Um, and in fact, in the New York Times, uh, the, this wonderful picture of them in front of Alex's portrait was, was published. So um, this is really the moment when you get started. Is that fair to say? Well, everyone says so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you agree? <laughs> no. <laughs> when did you get started? 1950. 1950. Well, yeah, well, we more experimental, but uh, they were totally non-negotiable. But these uh -huh. were the first paintings that were negotiable. Commercially negotiable. No, intellectually. No. Intellectually negotiable. negotiable. Okay. I stand corrected already. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, why don't you tell, tell us then um, how you got to this, this point? I, I decided very early, very early on that uh, I wanted to um, make a, a new kind of realistic painting. And it was like uh, not a very practical idea because um, uh, the old realistic paintings just they couldn't see what I was doing at all. It was like unfinished paintings. And to the um, abstract expressionist, it was uh, retro. I was told when I first showed a painting, um, uh, figuration is obsolete and color is French. You know? <laughs> and <clears throat> that, that was the world I was in. And, but I had the... Uh, 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 idea what I wanted to do it was in instinctive. It was following instincts, and my instincts was much stronger than anything logical. So I proceeded, and what I noticed was uh, the, the big problem in the United States was uh, I went to an advanced art school, Cooper Union. It was either a regional painting or a provincial modern art, you know? And uh, so you were, the regional painting was like out of the question for me because I went to a modern art school, and... Uh, <clears throat> so when you say regional, you're talking about what kind of things? Oh, Hopper. Edward Hopper, okay. And uh, what, what are the... Thomas Hart Benton. Brothers, what? Benton. Huh? Thomas yeah, Hart Benton. Benton, all, all of that. Mm -hmm. Grant Wood. Albright, okay. Albright, yeah, mm -hmm. all that stuff. You just... Once you started on the modern thing with Cezanne and Picasso, that stuff was uh, mm -hmm. didn't make any sense mm -hmm. at all. And what do you mean by the other alternative was was provincial, provincial modern modernism? Modern. What? So uh, like provincial modern. Well, I'll tell you the story. Uh, we go into the my wife and I go to the Whitney Museum, and they have uh, a big show of pre-war modern art. My wife walks in the room and says, ah, oh, the Picasso room. Mm. And it's not Picasso. No, it's yeah. Whitney. It's all the American mm -hmm. artists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Picasso everywhere. And um, you wanted to get a, around Picasso and Matisse, you know? And I noticed that neither one of them dealt with really specific uh, details. They generalized. And at the same time, uh, I really liked a lot of abstract painting. And so I developed uh, the idea of the flat background, which is like a, a place to put a figure with specific details. So Alex, this is some of the that painting was, that, that was, was available going around at to the time, you. And you know, uh, more yeah. than available, everybody was doing it in the early 1950s. Yeah, yeah right? that was, uh, it, I mean, it was, de Kooning was the king downtown, and when they had the stable annual, they would have like 12 de Kooning's in, mm -hmm. and one of his, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? 
And uh, Gusson was very popular as well, generalized. So mm -hmm. the thing with the specific details changed it. And the hardest part of the Irving and Lucy painting with the flat backgrounds was painting the background, making the background plausible so it wasn't like uh, paper, you know? It, it was atmosphere, you know? And that was like what was... Uh, uh, wondering a little bit of it, Rothko, the colorist, they put a color down, and he put enough of it down, it opened up and became atmospheric. So Irving and Lucy, with the feet, sets it in perspective, and the white goes all around them. It isn't like they're cut out and pasted on the, on the canvas. And, there was, and that was it. That was it. And then that's, that started off, and, and you, you have it in your head, you think you could do it. Um, you put it on a wall, and people tell you what they think about it, and it changes and alters what you're doing. You can't possibly know it, know what you're doing if you're extending yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, the painting is like a, a part of uh, everybody around, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. including the bad reviewers. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Irving Sandler, um, we associate him with the abstract expressionists because of that uh, book he wrote, The Triumph of American Painting, but he was also very involved with um, your kind of painting yeah, well, as well. Well, Irving, Irving got a job in the Tanager Gallery, which is a co-op, and he sat behind the desk there, and everyone came in there, and they argued all the time, and <clears throat> Irving listened, but all, all the painters in the Tanager were like, younger than the abstract expressionists, mm -hmm. and they're yeah. all going in a different direction. By 1954, if you dripped, it was really old-fashioned. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I so mean, the fashion in, in painting changes every three years. It's like the record <laughs> business. <laughs> so these were painters uh, like um, Philip Perlstein, Charles Kajori, Tom Wesselman. Uh, well, they're later. They're later? Yeah, yeah they're, okay. they're really later in style. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is this is 1958. Yeah. Okay. You know, and there was nothing around anything like it. Mm -hmm. And it was the most uh, uh, biggest show of my life was that mm -hmm. was that show in the Tanager. Now I want to ask you about something that happened very soon after this. But but first, um, I wanted oh. to include this beautiful oh. drawing of your mother, which we just realized um, was here in the collection. Um, and well, tell us, uh, tell us a couple of things about your mother. Oh, my mother, like my mother was an actress, and she was a star on the Jewish stage. And I had done, I left the the straight world and I went to high school. I went to a, a vocational high school and drew drew from the antique for three years, which just happened to be there. I, I, I looked at the antique drawings, and I really liked them. And, I, and so the, you could do whatever you wanted, so I just drew from them and had a very good teacher. So I drew from the antique for three years. And at the end of that, I could do a drawing that was as good as any adults in the city, and it was completely useless. <laughs> I mean, it was just a system. <laughs> I mean, you had a subway token, mm -hmm. you can get uptown. That's, <laughs> but it, but it, that must have um, given you a real, a real foundation and to be able yeah. to do a drawing like this. Well, this is after that. This is, uh, I got out in 45, this is like 40, 1946. And this is before, before I went to Cooper Union. And I, uh, and I did this, and it was a, like, a, um, 
Oh, I see it. It's like a pretty good drawing. <laughs> I'm 19 at that time, and then I'm about to learn modern art. Was, so was she, um, her eyes are closed. Her eyes are closed, interesting. Yeah. yeah. You think she's reading or sleeping? I don't know. She wasn't sleeping. Mm-hmm. I don't I, know what she was doing. I want to read you one um, quote from your informal autobiography. At the oh. back, you have some stories about your, your mother. And um, you say, my mother's English and wit were definitely superior to mine. Once, while taking leave of her in a hotel lobby, I said, it's been awfully nice talking to you. She replied, I hope you don't paint in cliches. <laughs> yeah, Mama was really sharp. <laughs> and I never won in, in, in dialogue. There was a bunch of them. They were really pretty, pretty wild. Um, she, she, I, she said, once I said I was going to have a show, I came home. I did 60 paintings this summer. And she said, I hope you, one year you're doing one. <laughs> and that, that ended up being the lawn party. And the, the you parents didn't, were You didn't take sp- her advice. You, what? You didn't take her advice. You kept doing 60 paintings. No, no. The next no. time I did one, oh, the lawn party. Oh, you did party, one painting. It killed okay. me. I did, I did one <laughs> painting. And, and, and she was right. The painting, uh-huh. the painting, got, a, the painting got, got me a bad review that was as good as any de Kooning ever had. <laughs> and I was just, you know, cut this big in the Times and uh, saying how, how I lost my character. It, I used to be a good painter and now I, I was selling out, you know, the real character assassination. And it took half the page of the, it was in a group show, and it took half the page of the Times. And I called up my mother and she said, oh, it's about time someone got interested in you. No. She was right. Another thing she did. So this was another option that, that was, was available. Yeah, and that this was made it. a big difference to you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jackson Pollock just opened it all up. Uh, Brock and, and Matisse <clears throat> and everyone else was painting with black lines in closing form, and uh, Jackson Pollock just opened it up, and so did Bonard. Bonard was painting a field of light, and that's the, I said, that's the way to go. You want to get around Picasso and Matisse, and this is, this is the avenue. And also, <clears throat> by the end of the 50s, uh, I, I, I said, well, maybe we can make a large-scale figurative painting, you know, mm-hmm. and took, took that jump. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, 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 my, my life was, you get a series of opportunities that you think, and I, I didn't have a lot of confidence and a lot of nerve, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the, uh, in my family, I'm, I'm the sissy of the family. <laughs> they were outrageous. My mother took a car up 7th Avenue against the traffic for eight blocks because someone objected to her driving. Can you imagine doing that at night against the traffic for eight blocks and making a joke to the cop and the cop said, don't do it again. <laughs> So they were like that, and the father dove over bridges. They were, it was a he-man, and gee, I, I realized I didn't, he, that was beyond me he, completely. He, you say he dove off bridges? Yeah. Uh-huh. As a hobby. Well, yeah, for the hell of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know okay. what it is, it's like a, a he-man has to show the other guys that they're not up to it. So he'd go off the bridge and no other guys would. Stuff like that, you know. 
But you're very competitive. You're tough. I'm tough, yeah, but, uh, and competitive, but uh, mousy compared to my family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So a couple other things about Pollock. One thing you said, I think, was that, um, and this is, it's very counterintuitive that Alex Katz would be, would be so uh, turned on by Pollock. Um, but you also said this wanted, this made you want to do plein air painting, to paint well, outside. Well, plein air painting came as an accident. I studied modern art <clears throat> and actually was really, really good at it at the time. I was doing very fashionable paintings. I showed one, I got a nice review in the Times. Then I went to the um, uh, Scouting and Art School, which was regional. And uh, they had a, tr I couldn't, they were giving a bit, real bad time on modern art. And they had a truck, and I went out and tried painting, and so it was electric. So this is Skowhegan, if people don't know, is up in Maine. And um, now people go there on, on um, fellowships. But you went there two summers on scholarship yeah. as a student, and mm -hmm. you were really taking classes and, and learning. Well, um, the, the, it was very, very informal. Okay. And, but I got the thing of like, Painting out, painting. It wasn't. It was painting a landscape. It was like painting automatically, because mm -hmm. I painted a lot of paintings I made were from photographs at that time too, and the process of painting automatically freed me from cast drawing, cubism, and everything I learned. You know. It was, it was really explosive, and it didn't, have, it didn't make any sense with what was going on, but it made a lot of sense at the end of 10 years. What do you mean by automatically? Well, you, you, you uh, uh, the basis of like cubism stuff is like, um, it's like a system. Like the cast, cubism is like cast drawing. It's the same system, actually. And uh, everything inside the system you work. Once you get outside the system, it's something else. And I thought of uh, Cubism, which was the basis of Cooper Union, Cubism and Bauhaus. And um, uh, I thought of just another system. I, I didn't take it seriously. I said, let's do it and learn it. And uh, after I got out of art school, I'll figure out what I want to do. I didn't, take my art, I didn't take my art school seriously as art, you know. Uh, the drawing my mother, I th thought, was art, but the stuff I did in art school was... Uh, I th when I went to art school, I figured, well, this teacher can paint better than me now. <laughs> and I told the first teacher, painting teacher, I told the guy next to me, if I can't paint better than this in two years, I'll eat the paint box. <laughs> I was... That's yeah. serious. And, mm -hmm. and up until that time, my life was all over the place. And then when I got to Cooper Union, I started working on drawings around the clock. I mean, when I wasn't uh, eating, I was drawing. And drawing at four in the morning on a mm -hmm. train. I was drawing mm -hmm. everywhere and did a lot of drawing and got pretty good at the end of three years because I couldn't, I couldn't uh, draw, draw fast at all mm -hmm. when I got there. So I, I learned a lot. And, and in three years, I went from being incompetent to being competent in modern art. And I said, if I can do this, if I advance this much in three years, in 20 years, I think I can make some real art. And it worked out. <laughs> now, I, I'm not going to forget my question, automatically. Uh, automatic it means like you just get in front of you start painting. You what, you see, yeah, what you see, not caring about design, yeah, composition, yeah, not, no composition so no, much. Nothing, just yeah. painting what you see. 
Okay. And uh, it's pretty much like a child, except I have um, uh, muscle memory mm -hmm. from the cast drawing and the cubism. Okay. So things come out okay. Yeah. I don't have to think about it. So we're looking at a wonderful painting which we acquired from you a few years ago because I saw it in your studio and I said we've got to have it. Um, and you held on to it for us. I appreciate it. Uh, Portrait of Ada, 1959. Um, you've been married now for one year, I think. Yeah. 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 And um, is this an automatic painting? Yeah. The model's in front of you, and you just like paint. Mm -hmm. And it's all very direct. Uh, uh, and like I said, I didn't know this painting was that good. He, 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 he said it was. <laughs> and then it was shown and everyone reproduced it. So they agreed with it. But a lot of times I have no idea whether the thing's any good. Just know I'm finished with it. Well, maybe you're too close yeah. to it. Yeah, and this there. is like from this thing you saw of Irving Sandler. This is again the background and she's in it. Right, and oh. another thing you said about Pollock and the all over style was Let's cool it, just put it in the middle. Oh, yeah. Which seems to apply Central, here, yeah, yeah. right? Stick it in the middle. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a big it's difference. It's like Bonnie Newman, mm -hmm. figuring ground. Mm -hmm. Bonnie Newman's not striped, it's figuring ground. They have different weights, you know? So you have a, a, a Washington show there with a man, I forget his name, does all these stripes. Those are stripes. Bonnie Newman's zip is not a stripe. It, it's, a, it's a weight difference. And this yeah, is, this is right. similar to that. And in a way, I think, yes, there's figure and ground, but that ground is just as strong as the figure, and it's not really behind the figure, and there's a no. lot of... Uh, yeah, it's right it's in, inside between. of it, yeah. Yeah. It's really all figure, or all ground. Yeah. Well, by this time, this is like a, a little bit later than the Irving Sandler picture. I was more proficient at mm -hmm. dealing with I it. I mean, this, this painting, one thing I love about it is we can see you've got your wet-on-wet wet technique going. This is one-shot painting, and just the way you like bring that, bring that lock of hair down to create volume. It's it's you know just uh, beautifully fluid. You just seem to be completely in the medium, in the moment, and uh, it looks easy. I don't know if it's easy. Probably not. 59. Make it look easy. 59. See, yeah. Irving was in Lucy's 58. This is a whole yes. year later. So one of the big changes here is with Irving and Lucy, they're, they're, they're in the middle of the whole thing. Here, Ada is, is cropped. She's cut off. And I think this is a big change in your work. This is, this is, this is still, uh, the figuring ground is still in traditional scale. Uh, the scale changes in uh, uh, 1962, 60s, yeah. I decided I wanted to make um, uh, an image that was not traditional, and I was looking at a lot of movies and uh, TV and billboards, and they had large they had large faces, and they'd have a, a, and I used to go to movies to see westerns. I I was carving frames and finish work, run into the movies, and just walk in. And there were westerns, you see a big face here and a lot of land over here. And I said, that's for me. <laughs> and because there was no reference to, to traditional art, where up until that point, 
the figuring ground, you could relate them to Goya or other people. Mm -hmm. these, these are, and I went into this uh, large, like people mm -hmm. large scale. And at the time, I wanted to um, um, be able to make something that had the, the velocity of, of a de Kooning, you know? And in this scale, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. So, so that, this that painting, you, did you all see it um, before you came in? Two feet by two feet, Yeah. oil on board. Yeah, it was small, mm -hmm. and I was painting small through. But it looks pretty good up there, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but still, it didn't have the uh, uh, muscle. Mm -hmm. I saw the de Kooning show in 58, and he had the door to the river there, and I thought the show was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, I want to knock him off the wall. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. You're tough. Yeah, tough. Yeah, so I did these big faces, and they, they would hold their own with any de Kooning. Mm -hmm. So I'm and muscle, to... and just in muscle. I'm not talking about quality. I'm talking about muscle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to keep after you here about this cropping, because I think the fact that you cut, cut the figure off there mm -hmm. is, 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 is a big change. And this is also a time when you begin to make cutouts, yeah, right? Think, yeah. Which are your figures, <clears throat> and I think we have some images and, of, of those. This is a, a much later one it's much that later, we have. Yeah. Um, but those are, um, those are some those of the- Those are later too. Uh, that, some of the characters really, that you knew. But you start cropping, you can see on those, they're, they're, they're cut at, at very irregular places. Because when I first did it, I went through all the original endings of sculpture, and, and it's kind of arbitrary, but sculptures end at here, like the one of Ada. They end here, you know? And uh, they end here sometimes. And these are ending in all the wrong places. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. It's like mm -hmm. in the cubist things, you paint the space in front of the figure, you know? And to make something really go around, Remember, it does it too. You paint the space here to, and the space back here, and you really get volume. And if you look at a Rembrandt, he does it. He, he's painting the space behind to make volume. And with the cubist uh, thing, they cut it off. And I said, well, these are like cubists. You cut it off, and the space comes right up to the edge, edge of it. And you make something that I hadn't seen before. Mm. And that was it. You want to go into... Want to want to do things that look new. Don't want anything looks old. I have a theory that you might have inspired Frank Stella to cut out the corners of his striped canvases. So. I don't think so. Well, you did your first cutouts where you were cutting out the space around the oh. figure in 1959. He did his first in 1960. Yeah. Well. But if he were here, I'm sure he would be objecting to that. I think he would. <laughs> 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 I don't want to say it. Is this a Frank? Is, is this a Frank Stella Chuck, story no, no, coming? Chuck, no, it's the same sort of thing. Uh, when Chuck Close had his first show, it was a big sensation with these big faces, and Al Hell was there, and he was his teacher, and he said, "I owe all this to you," and 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 Al said, "Don't lay that shit on me." <laughs> So something like that. <laughs> We're live streaming and we cannot edit. <laughs> so another wonderful painting in our collection, um, a gift from your foundation. Seems like when we buy something, we get a gift. It's a good deal. Um, 
folding chair from 1959, and there you are a couple of years later. And at this point, you have discovered um, Lincolnville, Maine, for a few mm -hmm. years now, and you're going up there uh, for long summers and then going back, back to the city. Is that a little Edward Hopper peeking out, a little regionalism peeking out of that window there? Am I, or am I a little bit like a little that. bit, a little bit okay. like Hopper, I guess, but not too much. Not too much. Okay. It's much flatter, uh -huh. and it's and the paint is very direct. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's much more pizzazz. I. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> we thought about hanging this at the top of this here too. This one is four feet by four feet, but Ada, at half the size, you know, yeah. just had had the punch that. That, uh, that she won, you know? But this is, um, this is a, great, a great gallery painting. Um, so uh, the first thing I did actually when I, when I got this job in 2008 was, was buy this painting, Swamp Maple, which you had um, released onto the market. Not sure yeah. why, but I'm glad you did. And uh, this was... Um, my first acquisition here, and I hope some of you have seen it in the galleries. When we um, reopened, I, I, I created a, a tree house, a tree room with swamp maple and a, some Mario Mertz uh, trees and a Cecily Brown tree <laughs> and uh, a few other trees. Um, and here, here it is. Uh, That's in, what it was. In Maine, you, you, lived, you saw this every, every meal in Maine for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. What's there now? What's where? At that, where, where the painting oh, was. Oh, uh, a green painting with the uh, leaves mm -hmm. that I hope stays there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about the, uh, the swamp maple for it's a, for it's a minute. Late, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. 4.30. 4.30. Yeah. And the sun... That's in the title. Yeah. <laughs> I started at four. <laughs> I started well, at four. Well, the paintings are the paintings are uh, basically all all the paintings. A lot of them have to do with a specific time, a specific light, and um, the impressionist paintings uh, have a, a slower time. They don't have a fast light, and I like the light from de Kooning and, and Pollock. It's fast, and I wanted to make the immediacy of the of perception the goal. And so this is painted at 4.30, and the light is, the sun is going down. It's a hazy day in August, and it's backlit the tree, so the tree turns black, dark. And it's just painting what's in front of you, but that's the idea. And the tree is uh, dark because the light's against it. And the, the uh, softness is, is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a damp day. So the, the sky is sort of yellowish, and it's a reflection from the sun that's on the lake. It makes it kind of whitish. And the pale blue is off in the distance. And it's just matching colors. So it's all perception. And it has to do with uh, the, uh, uh, an additional problem of my work was the fact is what is realism? Uh, you see it with your eyes and you think it's real, but actually you see things culturally. And what you see is that is usually 20 years behind where I am. So I'm seeing this as I want it, and you see it as 
uh, uh, people saw it as not viable as a painting and not realistic either. Mm -hmm. And actually, I had people screaming in galleries. Very few paintings have had that. People have had that honor <laughs> to have people screaming at the work. And uh, I had it in France in 1975, and I had it in Provincetown in 1960. People actually were screaming that this is terrible, and I should go back to art school. <laughs> but that's it with realism. Mm -hmm. One of the things I have on my Alex Katz quotation list is, um, there's nothing more mysterious than appearances. Absolutely. Well, that's it. Because mm -hmm. you, you're trying to see it the, the way it is now, not the way it was 20 years ago. And with that, there's a thing I use all the time. When, when I grew up, Washington Square was a, a, a weak impressionist watercolor. That's how you saw it. And now if you go to see Washington Square, it's like something you've seen in TV. And your vision has been altered by TV. And uh, uh, photography and TV uh, are the uh, dominant, dominant forces in what you see. Mm. You know, you don't have your vision, you have the vision of your culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Well, yeah, it is. These are not um, simple paintings. No. Well, just to get back to this one for a minute, what, I think what, what I... Now, this was not a quick painting, right? This is not... Um, you have to well, it's a, it's a very take it back to the studio for all those leaves, right? You can't do that Oh, I quickly. made drawings. You know, uh, lots of drawings. I made lots of drawings yes. and drew it all on the canvas mm. and then painted it. In so one, there's pencil one, underneath. Yeah, there's there. a drawing under every mm -hmm. leaf. Yeah. And then I painted it... Uh, in a, I painted it in a day, I guess. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. One thing I love about it is the way the uh, tree and the branches and leaves reach out, sort of touching, sort of feeling for the edges of the canvas. I, I, I feel there's something anthropomorphic about it. Uh, it's like a portrait of a tree. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Yeah. It's very specific. Yeah. The but later ones are more generalized. Yeah. Do you have that painting, the other one? That's, was that a print? That's a print we do have yeah. in our collection, which yeah. is much later, but it shows you turning those leaves in same, the, same, yeah, the like, same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing about this painting, if you look at it closely in, in the bark, there's a, a beautiful, subtle crack allure, pattern of, pattern of cracks, and that really sold me on it. I thought that was a brilliant way to, to uh, convey the bark until you told me that that happened later. Well, it happened almost in, it's, it was quickly, but uh, quickly. drying cracks. Yeah, what happened yeah. was it was um, a very hot when I was painting it, and I was painting it in, in, a, in a barn that was, uh, had a fairly low ceiling, so it must have been over 100 degrees when I was painting that thing. And I'm putting a, a black on top of a, of, a, of a light, and it's like lean over fat, which is not sound. And so what happened was the it, it, it started to, it made those white lines all over, and they look great, so we let it go. Okay. It hasn't good. changed. Good. If something looks good, don't fool with it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get off of this in a minute, but just to, just to mention the cropping again, you, you have violated the, the primary rule of painting trees, which is you're supposed to show them rooted, you know, where they are on the ground, and yeah. you don't care about that. 
You also put the tree right in the middle. You're not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be on the side, so it's a repoussoir, so you get the space. You're breaking all the rules. Yeah. Well, I always did. <laughs> Here are a few more trees. Well. Cezanne, Courbet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started with Cezanne, actually. You started That's, with Cezanne. So yeah, when I started mm -hmm. painting outdoors, he was controlling my vision. And actually, uh, they had a show in... Yeah, the, the tree, the, the outlines on the trees are traditional in European painting, the way they make volumes by curves, and then there's volumes inside. And uh, he was the first painter I really liked because I liked the um, emotional force of the painting when I was a t teenager, I, f I first saw him. And um, uh, then they presented him as this big intellectual, you know, and. Um, but I liked them for the emotional force, and I thought I didn't know what I was, no, I wasn't sure of myself. But later, when I got more confidence, I realized, oh, that was the, really right. the thing of him, right. not, not, right. not the, not the um, structural things that people talk about. Yeah. I but anyway, yeah. we, I saw this show in Philadelphia, and then I'm looking at some of the, some of the paintings, and he just overpainted stuff. You have like a, a system of painting, and uh, I, I started painting uh, uh, like Brock, which is layers of paint, dry, dry on dry, and you scumble on the top. And then when I got free, I started painting with uh, washes on hard grounds, like, you know, hard surfaces. It's wet on dry. And then I painted, uh, when I went to back to canvas, it was a little, uh, it was um, not quite fat. It was lean on, on, on dry. And then I started fooling around with uh, painting in the park uh, in layers. That was really wet and wet. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is go to the um, park across the street, you layer the one color on and you keep dropping paint into it. It was sort of, sort of like uh, what he calls schlock painting technique. You'd get things done very fast. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the technique. And I think I had done those big faces at that time. It was 1963, 1964. And uh, at four in the morning, Frank O'Hara was there telling me, you shouldn't be doing these little things. <laughs> you should be painting big faces like, like uh, the red smile and things like that. And I said, listen, Frank, I know how good I am. And he said, don't get porky with me. He said, you're going to have to hang next to Matisse. And that was a real downer. <laughs> An earlier Oh, the first one on the right. I was yeah. very proud of that picture. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a white gesso ground on Mason. I didn't want the texture of canvas which softened the strokes. So the strokes are really direct. And it's a white, white piece of thing. And black lines on it, and that's it. And that was shocking to me, because coming from painting like Brock with layers and layers, and I got to that, mm -hmm. I really felt that was like fantastic mm -hmm. for me, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. direct. Yeah. And I, I sort of at the end of the, the fifth, at the end of, near the end of the 50s, I was in a, um, a cafeteria at uh, four in the morning, and some guys saying, 
I'm trying to get the expressions in the eyes right. And I'm thinking, that's the wildest thing I ever heard coming from high modern art. And I said, well, maybe I should try it. And that's when I started doing the specific details mm -hmm. in the portraits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it had a lot to do with painting, painting Ada. I just met Ada. And she had the transition from a more generalized way to really more specific. And I painted her all winter. At the end of the winter, I got something I really liked. Mm -hmm. That was the way it went. Mm -hmm. oh, well, this is uh, double portraits. And this started with uh, Al Held and George Sugarman were, were like, uh, were like uh, Hegelian modernists. In other words, they believed in progress in art. You know, which is to me, you know, I think I, I never felt art got better. I felt it's always sort of the same. But Hegel thought, why don't we start now and relate the old guys to to the news? Because Germany was just deadened by uh, academic painting at that time. So he's kind of was a great guy, but he believed in progress, and so did so did. Um, so the story was. George wouldn't speak to Al for two years because Al overlapped a plane. Yeah? He created space and you were supposed to be flat. Yeah. Yeah. This is Everything George Sugarman, a sculptor that you yeah. might not have heard of an Al yeah. Held painter. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it was, every form was supposed to be autonomous with George. And uh, I realized that I was timid about overlapping forms. So when I heard that, I said, let's overlap volumes right away. You sure did. You sure did. That here. was it, overlapping yeah. volumes. And mm -hmm. I would say, always say, thank you, George. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> How do you like that? That's great. And I was using sissy colors, too. <laughs> <laughs> A real man paints with red, yellow, and blue. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so, Vincent, uh, you're... you're only child. He was mm -hmm. born around 1960, I think, so he's, yeah. he's about seven 60, years old yeah. here, um, up in Maine. Um, another painting from our collection, which came by way of the Corcoran, of uh, a, a great figure in Washington, D.C., Evelyn Neff. And, um, and you, uh, you knew her? Uh, how did this mm, yeah, she's come amazing. About? She was amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing lady. And her husband, John, Ambassador yeah. Neff. Yeah, yeah. She's, you know, she, she was brilliant, and she could do anything. And she met this guy, uh, uh, last husband, and <clears throat> he was French, so she, she, I think she went to Columbia and learned French in a couple of months. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I mean, she's really dynamite. Mm -hmm. And uh, for this, I made a great drawing. I like the drawing this, better this than the drawing, painting. Which is also in our collection. Yeah. And uh, so you made a very careful drawing. Very careful that, drawing. Um, and, and made the painting, but I prefer, I prefer the drawing. Yeah. It's more open. And she is uh, known to us primarily for the, the great Chagall mosaic that was in her Georgetown uh, backyard. And then um, she bequeathed it to the gallery. It's in our sculpture garden right now. Um, we have lots of Alex's prints and drawings in the collection, um, which 
fill in, you could say, some of the 70s and 80s where we don't have paintings. Uh, it's a great series. And then recently, um, you gave us uh, this really lovely uh, portrait of your two grandsons. So we've got another generation going here. Vincent's uh, two sons, um, Isaac and Oliver, painted in uh, 2013. And I saw this in your studio too. And in fact, I, I met one of the boys and uh, saw these two great sketches that you made. And this might be a time to talk a little about your process because you well, have a, okay. quite a traditional series of steps uh, going on. Well, at the end of the uh, 50s, I decided I wanted to paint big, so I went up to six by six. So I find myself in the middle of a road painting a landscape of the road. And uh, it's a tar road with cars, and they didn't come too often. So I painted this painting and was successful. And I says, you can't go on like this. <laughs> you know, if you, you want to get bring killed. Big, what? You could get killed. <laughs> well, not, not only can you get killed, you can, make, you, you can lose control of making a painting. Okay. And, uh, even worse. Even worse. <laughs> So then I changed the, you, the um, a good painting, or uh, you change your ideas, you know, you just follow the painting. And the first one was I did a double portrait of Ada twice, Ada, Ada, in 1959, I guess. And I wanted to make a, a non-psychological double portrait, so I made her and repeated her. And it's the first rep repetitive figurative thing ever, you know, like that. And uh, I, I knew the painting was pretty good or interesting, and so I changed my idea of direct painting at that minute. I said, well, this altered your life. You forget your ideas and just go ahead. You follow the painting, not your ideas. And so when I started the paint, wanted the paint larger to get the velocity of uh, the AE guys that really power Abstract expressions. Yeah, so I started to paint these uh, these these uh, big big faces. But what I did was paint a painting direct, like I would any other painting before. And then I, I it was okay this big. Let's try it this big. And then we tried this big. Let's try it four feet. It looks good four feet. Let's go six by six. And that's the way I started. So it was indirect. And I found that if I draw on the canvas. I couldn't keep the colors real clean. So I started to draw on paper, perforate it, and push, it, push pigment through it. Mm -hmm. So I have a real clean surface. So now I'm going way up away from what I originally saw, which was direct painting. The direct painting was just the start. Yeah, so and this the, is an example of the that's kind a of- collage. I mean, that's the, the, the cartoons which go on top of the canvas and I make my drawing from that. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, from, from real direct stuff, it goes to really indirect. Mm -hmm. But the, um, when I paint a painting now, uh, the drawings on the canvas usually, or even some of the late ones, I didn't even make a drawing. I have uh, the colors all mixed. This, the, the, uh, uh, the sequence of the, of the colors is in my head and the brushes are all laid out. So it's just a matter of execution. 
So I can make a, a, a very large painting that has a very direct surface, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's a more lively surface than just about anyone's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, because of the process. Mm -hmm. And it's a terrific strain uh, painting it because it's all done real quick. And you just have to trust your uh, uh, instincts pretty much on it, you know. And the, the very light landscapes, which he'll be showing, are, I just threw away the idea of even a sketch. I mean, I had little sketches this big on some of them. I knew they would work out big. And the ones that didn't, would work in between. So this, just, just to clarify, this is called pouncing, right? What? Pouncing. Where you yeah pounce you you pounce it you so you have the life size drawing on the craft paper you put it on the canvas and with a tool you you poke a series of little holes along yeah. the contour you put holes on it and you push push pigment through it then I draw on top of that and uh, and if it doesn't look good I'll adjust mm -hmm. the drawing yeah you know? and you got this from Giotto right yeah straight from Giotto yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes it's an old technique. Um, <laughs> But in a way, you're saying that for all of that careful preparation, the spontaneity gets preserved in the act of painting. Yeah, right? the painting is all, that's all, all where direct. It's all happening. Well, in, I didn't uh, want any new. In, 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 in New York, there was a lot of secondary racers very noodle painting, and it's like fussy, fussy painting, and I wanted direct painting. And it came from a misunderstanding of Matisse. So I saw Matisse when I was really young. I thought the paintings were like fantastic, and I thought they were direct. But actually, I did not realize how much he planned them. So I was going off making these terrible paintings <laughs> that were very direct. I destroyed a thousand paintings in the in my fifties. You 50s. destroyed one thousand paintings. Yeah. Did do you mean you painted over them, or you... I just busted them up and threw them in the fireplace? Good, good canvas. Good. No canvas. They were all huh? in masonite. Masonite. It's a lot of masonite. It's a lot of masonite. Yeah. It, 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 what, mm -hmm. what was important was I got a great technique after 10 years. My technique was really good. But by 1959, I could really paint. And the paintings weren't important. Mm -hmm. So here you are. Um, this is drawing on canvas now. Yeah. And then you'll... Well, I'm going over the... I'm going over pouncing. Over line. the pouncing to get yeah. the, the drawing, and then you'll paint over that. Yeah. That's right. But the charcoal will stay under. That's, I don't know what the heck I was doing. Because <laughs> that, that, that would. The process. Looks would, like I'm would, drawing right on that it. Dirty that might have been paper. Maybe that's that paper. Because you don't want to dirty up the It looks paint, like right? white paper, really. I don't believe that's I still drew, the I cartoon. draw like that on a canvas. Okay. Yeah, because then your paints would get oh, yeah, but it's, dirty. Yeah, it's too dirty. dirty. Yeah. Okay, cleared that up. Um, so. You have a show coming up at uh, Gavin Brown yeah. Enterprise, which is an amazing, huge space up in Harlem, big enough for you. And <laughs> uh, yeah. so we were, we were in your studio looking at some of these um, paintings, which are, are going to be shown there. And I was, I was shocked but that you're, you're doing Degas now. Homage Degas. to Degas. Well, yes. I was at the Met, and I'm looking at these Degas sculptures, and I just think he's a fantastic sculptor. And I thought, and then they have this big corridor full of these uh, Greek and Roman things that are really gift shop artists, 
They're really, they're really, you know, yeah. It's like, it's a disgrace. The Mets the, the uh, to have those grand uh, new classical wing? Yeah, yeah, that, that, those classical stuff, stuff they're so uh, crummy next to great sculpture. And I'm looking at these day guys and I'm saying, you mean the I, 19th century, the neoclassical? No, I mean, no. I mean the old stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the neoclassic stuff is like kitsch. It's kind okay. of fun. <laughs> you know, but the old, the old things, the, uh, the, the only interest I had in them was the angle of the ass on the men. <laughs> if, if it's sharp, that means he's for action. If it's soft, it means he's for fun. <laughs> and that, that's, that's, that's the only interest I have in those sculptures. I hope someone's writing this you know, down. Kind of, kind of disgraceful yeah. okay. that a city, a city like New York that has that, and has a corridor with the Rodin's. The, the plaster, the marble Rodin's look like soap sculpture to me. And the paintings look like really, really uh, uh, furniture store. Okay, I mean, let's get back to these paintings. <laughs> Of these? Well, we have, so, we have so, good colleagues at the Met. So, <laughs> so when I looked at the day guys, I said, uh, uh, I'd like to do uh, these gestures in a modern form. And I, I, so uh, I, uh, I, had a lot of, I had photographs out of a book. I brought them up to Maine. I called the ICA and said, do you have a, a model who's a dancer? They said yes. They sent over a model. I laid the photographs on the floor. She she did all the poses perfectly because it's like a 300-year-old system of poses. Comes from the comedy de art when they started with one gesture and two gestures. And anyhow, and I put them in in uh, a modern context with splits. And I wanted to do the the nude outdoors too. So I started, but I wanted to be abstract. So the hard part was getting the color, the green. And it started out with the first ones were too dark, and then it was too ordinary, and then I finally got the green I wanted and did this whole series. This is not unlike the green behind the uh, Ada. Yeah, it's like yeah. that green. It's from a green from the 50s of a, a good idea of the green. I did Ada in a white dress mm -hmm. a long time ago. Green with a little... And I loved that green, and I never got it again. It's and I was trying to get it. Yellow, got yellow. It, yeah, yeah, with this, this mm -hmm. little... little it's acidy though. Yeah. And a little heavier. Mm -hmm. So this is one set of paintings in the show, and there, there are more of these. And then there are these landscapes you were yeah, talking about. It, yeah. This is my third attempt at this. And it's, this painting is uh, misleading because it's um, 10 by 14 or 16 feet. And the uh, paint is very uh, fresh. And what I wanted to do was paint shadows on the grass. I wanted to do something that I thought was extremely ambitious. And I wanted to do it 10 by 20 feet. So I did one that was 9 by 18 three years ago. And I didn't get what I wanted. Everyone loved the painting and subsequently went out. And then I tried it again the year later. And it wasn't any better than the first one in achieving what I wanted. Uh, people liked the painting, but uh, I didn't get the feeling I wanted of the grass. And this is the third attempt at it. 
And uh, the painting, everyone's crazy about the painting. I still didn't get what I wanted. It's a little closer than the first two. I don't know if I'll try it again. But that's the story. But the paint on there is really direct. I, I did a lot of sketches and paintings four feet by three feet and small things. Put them all on and painted this. And it just went its own way. I just followed the paint, so to speak. The paint was going on great. This is wet and wet. The whole canvas is painted yellow. And then I take a pot of green, and I paint the light, and then I paint the dark, and the paint just went on great. And I followed the paint and got through with it very fast. And I was surprised how many people like it. So do you know, can you, can you put in words what you, what, where it fell short. Huh? Where, where did it fall short? What, what, what do you still It doesn't still look unhappy? like the, the image of the shadows on the grass that I wanted. Oh, okay. Steve, <laughs> you're know, not capturing I had an image of sh shadows on the uh -huh. grass, not of making yeah. a painting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the first time in my life anything like that uh -huh. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do. It started with a painting of 15, 20 years ago, a sketch where I did it mm -hmm. and couldn't figure out how to make it bigger. And then it just kept nagging me, so I went mm -hmm. back to it and to try it. And I don't know, I might try it again, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, the grass is yellow, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's light, it's light, it's okay. the sunlight on the grass. All right. I'm, I'm painting that, from that's life. Not all the, the sketches, problem, are, no. all the sketches the are from life. Okay. I'm just matching the uh, colors. Yeah. So, some night, night scenes. Looking these up are, into the trees. Yeah. These are big paintings. They're nine by 18 feet, and they're done directly, and it's from perception of uh, uh, twilight. Twilight, I'm painting twilight. And this is more realistic, actually. And the, the other one, the red one, is um, more um, like an idea about it. I've started that. Uh, about a year ago, I did a the last show I had. I, I did a painting that was uh, all yellow, and it was 12 foot tall and eight foot wide. And I was painting the idea of the light rather than the sensation. And I never did it before, and I thought it was a bad idea. The painting came out great, you know. And so I said I couldn't do another one like it. I just filed it away. And it meant something I would try out when, it, when the things got clicked together. And they clicked together on the red one, mm -hmm. where, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, not, that's, not, um, that's an idea of, of, of Twilight rather than the sensation. I mean, it wasn't, the other one was really like looking at it. This is more the idea of it. The uh, figuration is, is sort of realistic. But that's the sensation. And basically, my... Paintings were, were trying to paint the sensation of what you see rather than the actuality, you know, of it. And that happened a long time ago. Um, a, a, a friend of mine, Dick Crockett, uh, was uh, two years older and more advanced than I. The block I grew up in Queens, there were three artists, you know? And Dick was uh, 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 precocious very talented illustrator type. And uh, 
We used to, we went out and made watercolors. We drive, we bicycled 20 miles to find a, a view. We found the scenery, we came back. We showed them to my father. My father looked at Dick's and said, terrific, you're gonna be a great commercial artist. And he looked at mine and said, it's hopeless. You're gonna to have to be a fine artist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, also he said, hey, why do you paint scenes? Why don't you paint your own backyard? And I, I really hated him. <laughs> But, and then, but then think of it like, today I'm completely dominated by him. You've just been painting your backyard for a long time. Painting the backyard for a long time. Mm -hmm. That was a great, mm -hmm. great advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> show the other, show, show a couple of other things that are kind of interesting. Okay. I think it might We're be interesting. We're not going anywhere. Because he said so, so we can stay. Just show, show a couple of, the, the, the one on the left is the same thing. This is like perceptual. And the one on the right is the same thing. It's a cross light where, the, where, where what you see is gets very dark because the, the sun's going across it. And, and you can't see the painting on these. The, the, the one on the, they're both like uh, uh, consummately controlled. And the one on the right is like absolutely one of those perfect paintings in terms of technique. You got something else? There's a couple yeah. more. So since we're, we're going on, I'm going to drill down I'll just here. go a couple of minutes I'll show yeah. you the whole show oh that's just that one <laughs> that one T talk, talk about these that paintings one. are ten and a half and this is sunrise and I got up in the morning and went to the bathroom looked out the window and saw this and I said this is fantastic I've never seen anything like it because it was 5.30 in the morning <laughs> and so I went back the next day with a camera with a panel to paint it and I painted it, it was very dull you know, the actual thing, it didn't get anything like it. So this is like, uh, and then the painting itself ran away, like the, like the yellow one, and it became the sensation of what I was seeing. It didn't have too much, it wasn't literal at all at that point. I was very pleased with, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot going on here because you've got the, the perception, the sensation, and the idea. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you're painting out of one or the other or the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And they can all work. They think, can all I, work, but the sensation is, is, is the heart of it for you. Yeah, the right? sensation is what you're after. Yeah. yeah. But you don't want it to be descriptive. Mm -hmm. But sometimes to get the sensation, you have to go to the idea. The idea so starts first. Okay. You have an idea or conception of what mm -hmm. you want to do, and then you try to work it out. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're right, though. But the sensation is always um, not just the perception, it's really no. how you take it in, yeah. which is, which is a, a great mm -hmm. modernist idea, um, certainly yeah. going back to Manet and yeah. um, well, the, the Impressionists. Yeah, yeah, it goes into, I say this stuff is... Uh, mm -hmm in a sense, traditional. Mm -hmm. It's how it affects you. It's, it's um, mm -hmm. how you're seeing it uh, in a complete way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to clear that up. Um, there's some more oh, we got it. stunning things. And then a couple of little trees <laughs> little at trees. the end. A couple of well, little trees. I got away with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's a little tree and there's, That's there's only another seven one. Nine. I got away with that one. too. Yeah. And, and that was actual, like, seeing something. Uh -huh. It's in the spring, and, and it, somehow the grass is white. Mm -hmm. you know? 
But you don't have to show anymore. And there, go, there, there you go with the cropping. Yeah, there yeah. you go with the cropping again. Yeah, like, oh yeah, see. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's so rare that, that um, one gets a chance to talk to one of one's heroes. And I oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, now anybody who does not have a question or, or does not want to hear a question can leave, but we've got two microphones on either side, so we're going to do this a little bit, a little bit formally so the people who are live streaming can hear the questions. So, you're up. Oh, okay. Um, so I was interested in, initially in the, uh, the beginning of your talk, you talked about atmosphere and how um, in your painting of Irving uh, and Lucy, that was a really important thing for you. Could you describe a little bit more about how atmosphere has developed over your career? Well, it's like, <clears throat> well, initially it was to try to make flat surfaces have atmosphere. I did a lot of collages, you know, that, and uh, now it's like, uh, I don't think about it, it just happens. Mm -hmm. It's like muscle memory. So you I see that way. I see, mm -hmm. I see with it some atmosphere. It, it, I find that uh, uh, a lot of Impressionist paintings have too much atmosphere for me. Mm. They get a little soft. You know? But you can't really paint flat now if, even if you wanted to. There's always some sense of, of air and space. Yeah, it's not hard. It's never hard, mm -hmm. hard, hard yeah. concrete. Okay, and there's a question over here from James Meyer. Yes, I wanted to ask you about the double Ada. How did you come to make a double image? And you mentioned you wanted a non-psychological portrait. What is that for you? And well, why did you at want the to time, do it? at the time, people were making psychological double portraits. You know, uh, Kokoschka and other people, and they write about the psychological relationships. And uh, uh, for me, psychology was like undesirable and old-fashioned. So I wanted to make something that had no psychology in it at all. So, so, I, so that's how the double eight came. And just so you know, in the double eight or these double portraits, it's almost the same figure just painted twice, yeah. side by side, side by right? Side. Whereas in these earlier double portraits you're talking about, there would be different views, or there would be well, some... Well, the early ones, like flat, and I tried to paint... No, I mean Kokoschka and... Uh, oh, Kokoschka, yeah, like. they had all the story with... The, okay. All the story with... So you wanted a very... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, wanted yeah. To know, I don't want any stories on the painting. Okay. Uh, the, the stories uh, just... Uh, take the paintings out of the f uh, immediate present. Yeah, okay? Like Gertrude Stein and, and uh, St. Augustine say the same thing. Uh, there is no past, there is no future, there's only the, the, the present. And that's what I'm trying to paint is the immediate, immediate present. And if you have a narration, it's no longer immediate. And so all narrative art is not uninteresting to me, to paint, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. No stories. But the double eta is also not immediate because it's not one perception, it's, it's a rep repetition. 
Yeah, it had to change my ideas. Mm-hmm. After I saw the painting, and the painting was uh, better than my ideas, so you okay. opened the ideas up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Another question here. Just a process question, but what drives your decision about whether to use a square canvas or rectangular or big, small? Well, it has to do with the uh, content, you know, and it has to do with the idea. There are some things that are, are vertical ideas and some things are horizontal ideas. And um, so, uh, landscapes are generally horizontal ideas. Uh, so I made a lot of vertical paintings of landscapes, like the tree. <laughs> yeah, so the landscape is vertical. Yeah, you don't want to be conventional. Okay, one more over here. Thank you both so much. You spoke about how the visualization technologies of our time structure the way that we see, and I was wondering how you get out from under that sort of technology of the time. Uh, so if the visual technologies of the time influence well, how get, we see... Get, yeah, I'm, I'm influenced by uh, visual technology. I mean, the splits that I'm doing now with the Degas all come out of advertising looking at advertising, and a lot of the gestures and thing came out of looking at uh, fashion magazines and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, you're, 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 I'm affected by all the visual material, just like everyone here is. We're living in a time where the, uh, uh, it's getting more visual and less verbal, you know? The, 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 ver the language is degenerating, mm -hmm. and, but the verbal thing is like, uh, everyone's very, ver very visual, you know. And I think the question was, was kind of about how to resist that, but you don't, you don't want to resist that. No, I'm part of, part of it, yeah. part of it. That's kind of interesting. I find it interesting. I have no resistance to it at all. Okay. Yes, over here. Hi, Mr. Katz. <clears throat> I want to thank you, first of all, for this lecture. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, one of the things I've, I've always been interested in your work is the relationship between uh, your work and Fairfield Porter. And uh, I know that he was, I've read that he is a big fan of yours. I was just wondering if you had any Fairfield well, Porter stories. Well, first of all, Fairfield Porter was in the, in the middle of an abstract expressionist show, and I thought it was terrific. And, uh, he has a really uh, almost dumb way of painting. It has no style. And I thought that was kind of terrific because there were a lot of stylized paintings that uh, were around, you know? And, uh, and so uh, I, I met him and um, he came over and we found we disagreed on every painter. <laughs> <laughs> he liked de Kooning, I liked Pollock. I like I liked Rothko. He liked Motherwell, etc. Right down the line. <laughs> He's kind of a, the guy who uh, could keep a painting alive for a week, you know, and which is I thought was kind of really interesting. I couldn't. I I have to do it. If I don't do it direct, I can just throw it away. Is that enough? Um, I could take more, but I'll let you pass it back. Thank you very much. What did he say? He said he could take more, but he'll let you go. 
Sir. Uh, I'm just wondering how all of the paintings of Ada um, come about. Um, she probably has things to do, and <laughs> are they are they are they spontaneous? Are they sort of like okay, you're you're gonna can you pose for me for a certain number of hours tomorrow, oh, or are they spontaneous, or how do how do they happen? Well, it's a it's a whole confluence of things, and what it is is um, Ada's like a, a perfect model. That's one one thing. And I started with her because it was trying to paint someone, be detached from someone you're emotionally involved with. That's the first section. The second section is Ayer uh, went to movies a lot in the 40s. And somehow or other, all her gestures come from movies. She doesn't make a bad gesture. <laughs> so it's like having a, a dancer or, or uh, an actress in front of you. They know exactly what they're doing, but it's all muscle memory. So uh, by looking at it, it all became part of, part of everything she stands, every time she moves, it's another picture. So that's it. So I have a great looking model who makes perfect gestures. So I put her in a lot of different roles. She could be a housewife, she can be a femme fatale, she can be an ordinary lady. She's all these different ladies. I, I just cast her. And the poor thing has to suffer through posing, which she's not interested in. <laughs> but that's the story. Is that enough? Thank you, yes. <laughs> Do we have maybe, is that a last question? Yes. Hi. Uh, you mentioned that you went to Cooper Union in your youth, and I was just wondering how your, your art education shaped your career and your style? Like, would it have been any different had you not gone to art school? What do you think? Would it have been different if you had not gone to Cooper Union, had not gone to art school I don't think all? I would. I don't think I, I, I didn't have the, the confidence or the connections to things to ever get anywhere. If I didn't go to Cooper, if I didn't go to art school. But uh, I had, uh, three years was enough, that's what Cooper was. But, but I, I, there's no way I could get in real contact with it. We might have gotten there, but it would have taken a lot longer. Because I was, uh, most of the artists uh, don't, you don't know the artists of your generation who are, who are going to be really, have, have some interest until they're 35 or 45. That's when the serious artists become uh, dominant. Yeah. And uh, I, I was doing stuff like when I was like almost 30, that was, when I was 30, that was like, you know, really styled. Mm. We have to give Alex time to sign all the books you bought, but there is one question from the middle here, last one. Oh, I had a great time. The question I went is to about Skowhegan School. Yeah. What they said was, uh, um, by the time I was fin finished at Cooper Union, I, I, I was like a great art student, because I, I wasn't trying to express myself, I was just trying to do it. Do what they said, more or less, in my own way. And uh, so they offered me the scholarship. They said, you can go to Yale or Cooper Union. 
or, or Skowhegan. And Bill King, the guy, previous guy, went to Skowhegan, had a great time, and it was one more week. So I said, let's go to Skowhegan, you know? And so uh, Skowhegan was this regional art school. And so I come there in a double-breasted houndstooth jacket, <laughs> right? And I see all these guys in leather jackets and jeans. <laughs> it was a real culture shock. And then they got a dance and they played Carmen Caballero music from the f hotel bands. I had no idea what to do with it. But I come from the jazz thing where you could dance halftime Lindy Hops. You could only dance with someone from Queens or, Holla or, or Harlem. You couldn't dance with anyone in the world. And this was like, uh, there was a guy who was a sailor, uh, Blackie Langley, and he could dance to anything with anyone. And we, I just, we just all copied his style. That was, that was kind of, so I had a great time. It was kind of interesting because I was like a provincial from Queens. Yeah. Right. That was it. Great yeah. note to end on. Thank you very much, Alex. White Hot Magazine of Contemporary Art, one of the world's leading platforms for contemporary art.